Well, the Gonzaga Bulldogs have a few more non-conference games to finish up before WCC play begins. Today, we preview the Montana Grizzlies and what we want to see from the Bulldogs in their final game before Christmas. You are Locked on Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I am your host and longtime Zaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. Today's episode of Locked On Zags is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates that you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. That's linkedin.com slash college to post your job for free terms and conditions apply. Well, we're still all coming down from the excitement of what was a fantastic game on Saturday for the Gonzaga Bulldogs against the number four ranked Alabama Crimson Tide. Now, of course, Gonzaga turns their attention to another home matchup here on Tuesday, 6 p.m., the McCarthy Athletic Center against the Montana Grizzlies. This is only Gonzaga's fifth home game of the season. Of course, they opened up the season against North Florida, then they had three home games in a row against Kent State, against Washington, and then against Northern Illinois before hitting the road again against Bama. This is Gonzaga's last matchup before the holidays. It is also Gonzaga's last Division I non-conference game before they start Pac-12, Pac-12 before they start WCC play. Uh, Gonzaga does play on the 28th against Eastern Oregon. That is not a Division I game. And then they begin WCC play on New Year's Eve against Pepperdine. They will have one more non-conference game in early March against Chicago State, uh, kind of a tune-up game before they get into the WCC conference finals conference championships so uh, this is another one of those kind of tune-up games for the zags i have mentioned this on this podcast multiple times and i will give kudos when kudos are due i like when gonzaga uses these non-conference kind of buy games to play local area teams i think too off i would like to see gonzaga play eastern washington basically every year I'd like to see them play one of either idaho or idaho state every year uh, i've advocated a lot for them to re to re-up the, the yearly game against Washington State. I think that they should be continuing to play that game. Glad they're playing Washington. I think they should honestly be playing both these teams every single year. I've also advocated for them to play Seattle U in the past. So it's nice to see this game against Montana, another kind of local area uh, program. It's nice to see them get to play this game. I think it's more fun. And this is, again, with with zero disrespect whatsoever to Gonzaga's history of playing a lot of programs in the SWAC, a lot of HBCU schools. I think that's fantastic. I think it's great to see them play Texas Southern and, and Alcorn State and those kind of programs. Uh, but I also think that mixing in more games like this, more games against local teams, uh, again, because Gonzaga's home stadium is basically impossible to get into, it doesn't really afford many opportunities for you know, non-Gonzaga fans to necessarily go to the games, but perhaps, you know, there are there are opportunities for some of those people to at least get into the games or at least be able to watch their team play the best team in the area. I, I think it's a cool opportunity. I'm glad to see Mark Few and some of the other local coaches kind of getting on board with trying to play more games like this. 
So let's meet the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies are currently, as of this conversation, the 184th ranked team in Ken Palm. Offensively, they are just inside the top 150. They are 147th. Defensively is where they are uh, have more struggles. They're not particularly good in either area, quite honestly. Uh, but defensively, they are 231st. And then one of my favorite things that Ken Palm tracks is a team's pace or tempo. It's always interesting to see the wide variety. Gonzaga, of course, is one of the highest tempo teams in the country. Uh, the Montana Grizzlies are not. They are 327th in pace, so they are a very slow, plodding, methodical team. We have seen programs that maybe aren't as good as Gonzaga be able to kind of hold up the Zags just because they play that style. St. Mary's is obviously the most notable example of this. This this Montana team is not St. Mary's. They are not as efficient as that team. They are not as defensively proficient as that team. Not even close, quite honestly. So I don't think that that's necessarily going to be a disrupting factor. It's just one of those things where we're used to seeing Gonzaga get out and go and go and go against teams like this. And Montana is going to do their absolute best to prevent Gonzaga from doing so. Grizzlies are six and five on the year. Their best win. They only have one victory over a team that is currently higher than them in the Ken Palm rankings. That is South Dakota State, who is 175th in Ken Palm. So it's a pretty even matchup there. Uh, they have losses to Xavier, which obviously is not a not a bad loss, but a game that Gonzaga has won. They also have a loss to Duquesne, lost to Troy Air Force, and Southern Miss. Uh, again, six and five team kind of. In the top 200 for Ken Palm, so they're not a, a horrible team, but also this isn't exactly, you know, uh, it's a bye game. That's that's what we're dealing with here. Gonzaga's played enough good teams. We talked about that a lot on Monday's show. We've talked about this gauntlet of non-conference games that the Zags have played. So games like this is kind of more what we want to see the Zags mix in. They still got them some stuff they want to work on, even before they get into conference play, where they're obviously going to have an easier time on a week-to-week basis. They'll still have some good games there, but by and large, we'll be playing more opponents similar to this, uh, a little bit better than this for the most part, but vaguely similar. Main player to watch out for on the Grizzlies is six foot nine junior forward Josh Bannon. Uh, Bannon is in his third year with Montana. He's currently averaging just under 15 points per game and about 10 rebounds per game as well. Also three and a half assists per game. So they pretty much run everything through Josh Bannon. He's got the ball in his hands a lot. He's a good scorer, a good rebounder, good distributor. He's 49% from the field, but 50% from deep. That is on about one and a half attempts per game. So he is not a proficient or a, I guess he is a proficient three-point shooter. He is not a a player who takes a lot of threes. So you're not going to see him out there, you know, gunning a bunch of threes necessarily, but when he takes them, he tends to knock them down. So that is something for the Zags to obviously keep an eye on here. Uh, the, the interesting thing about Montana, the thing I talk about a lot on this podcast when we're previewing teams that aren't Alabama and Baylor and Kentucky is that most mid-major programs don't have a lot of size. They don't even have nearly enough size to be able to compete with the Zags. Montana doesn't really, but it's notable that their two best players are both six foot nine. Obviously we talked about Bannon already. The other one is Deshaun Thomas. Deshaun is a Colorado state transfer and he played at Colorado state. He was a role player. He wasn't a starter, but he played significant minutes for a couple of years for a very good mountain West program at Colorado state transfers to Montana. Now he's averaging 11 and a half points, 5.2 rebounds per game. So a little bit of size. They're going to run through their front court with two six foot nine guys quite a bit offensively. So that will look a little different than many of the other games Gonzaga has played. Uh, even you know opponents like 
Kent State, who is a, a very good team, but also opponents like Northern Illinois or North Florida tend to run most of their stuff through their guards, whereas Montana is going to be a little bit more through their forwards, uh, which helps explain why they're a, a bad three-point shooting team. We mentioned that Bannon is a good three-point shooter, but not taking very many attempts per game. Right now, Montana is under 32% from deep on the season. Not a good outside shooting team. Frankly, not a good rebounding team. Their 32 rebounds per game is 326th in the country that is out of 353 division one programs. So not great there. And they also only average 11.1 assists per game, which is 327th in the nation. So not a great passing team, not a great rebounding team, not a great shooting team tends to leave you in a situation where you're looking at a program. That's probably not going to be all that competitive against the Zags. It's worth pointing out. They also only force about 10 overs, 10 turnovers per game, which is about the 16th lowest rate in the country. So not turning teams over, not grabbing a lot of rebounds, paints a recipe of, of solid success for the Zags. Not that we expected anything otherwise in this game, while Montana may not present the same challenge as many of Gonzaga's non-conference opponents have so far this year. There are still plenty of keys to this game that I will be looking for more on that soon. But first today's episode of locked on Zags is brought to you by LinkedIn. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free. It's extremely simple to use. Start by adding your job and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. That's linkedin.com slash college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, segment two, still Andy Patton, still Locked On Zags. And I want to thank all of you for making Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. For your second listen today, check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast. From the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports, go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights that only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports Today, available on this app, YouTube, and wherever you get podcasts. All right, folks, we are talking keys to the game for the Gonzaga Bulldogs against the Montana Grizzlies on December 20th, 6 p.m. Pacific time, of course. these This segment is typically keys to a victory, especially when Gonzaga is playing teams where the outcome is, is a bit more up in the air in this contest. I would be very surprised if the Zags were playing a particularly competitive game. So it's more about what are the things we're going to be looking for? What are the things we want to see this, this team working on? Ways to maybe get some other players involved. So First key, quite honestly, is just build a big leading coast. We haven't seen Gonzaga do that this year. And it's it's kind of been a staple of their program. And obviously the non-conference schedule has been much more difficult than it's been in years past. And that has played a role. But even against Northern Illinois, like Gonzaga didn't put that game away for a very long time. They didn't put Kent State away until the very end of the game. Like they're, they have been, even Portland State in the, in the Phil Knight Invitational, they didn't really put them away until later in the game. It would be nice for us, just peace of mind for Gonzaga fans, uh, for the coaching staff, for many of the players on the roster, to just build a big lead and never really relinquish it. Never let a team get back in the game. 
Montana doesn't play a particularly fast pace. They're not a great offensive team. That's a recipe where if Gonzaga can build like a 10 to 2, 15 to 4 type of lead, that can become insurmountable just because this team is, is, is not moving particularly quickly with the basketball. They're not going to fill up the stat sheet in a hurry. They're not going to score six quick points very often. So for Gonzaga, a big key in this one, don't let this team hang around. Put them away early. If you can do so, then you put yourself in a position where you can play bench players eight to 10 to 12 minutes in the second half, as opposed to just four or five minutes. You can give guys bigger rests in the first half. You know, Drew Timmy doesn't have to play 16 of 20 minutes in the first half kind of gives you a situation where you can explore some different lineups, try some different things, kind of iron out some of that stuff that you might want to work on before March. And Gonzaga hasn't had very many opportunities to do that in part because of how tough their non-conference schedule has been. And in part, because even against some of the weaker teams, they haven't been in a position where they're the, the outcome of the game is determined with still 30 minutes left on the clock. A big way they can do that. And a big thing I would like to see in this game is transition offense. Montana is a bad rebounding team. So for Gonzaga, they don't necessarily need to send four guys at the defensive glass in order to make sure they clean up a rebound. They have had to do that a lot this season. We saw it against Purdue. We saw it against Xavier. We saw it to an extent against Alabama, although both those teams love to go, go, go. So there was still a lot of transition offense in that one, but that, that, quick paced, getting out in transition, scoring a lot of buckets that way. That style that Gonzaga has become really known for over the last decade plus, quite honestly, hasn't really been there this year. And part of it is because, team, again, the, the strength of schedule, but also because teams are prioritizing getting back. They're not even attempting to clap to crash the glass. They're just getting back and really not letting Gonzaga get out in transition. You can blame Tom Izzo, who figured out to do that in the first game of the season against Gonzaga, and it created a situation where we saw Texas do it, we saw Purdue do it, we saw Kentucky attempt to do it, uh, and I think it's going to be something that is going to follow the Zags all year long. You don't have an experienced elite transition point guard in Andrew Nempard. You don't have a, an automatic rebound in Chet Holmgren. Those two situations allowed Gonzaga to really be free-flowing and getting out in transition. They looked much, much better getting out in transition against Alabama. It would be nice to see that continue in a game against a team that they should be able to get out in transition against. Next up, another key or another thing I will be watching for, I'd really love to see a big game from Efton Reed here. We haven't seen a big game from Efton Reed yet. We have seen good performances from Efton Reed. We have also seen bad performances from Efton Reed. He was a, a, a bigger contributor in the rotation early in the year. He has since fallen out of the rotation. I think he had a six-game stretch where he did not play at all. Uh, he has now started to play a little bit more the last couple of games. Ben Gregg has quite clearly surpassed him on the depth chart. Part of that is just a fit alongside Drew Timmy. Efton Reed and Drew Timmy don't appear to play particularly well together. There was concern about those lineups coming into the season. Those concerns have come to fruition. The fact that Ben has emerged, and of course, Anton Watson has been better than anybody, including yours truly imagined he would be coming into this season. But for, for the Zags, the, the Drew Timmy-Ben Gregg lineup works great. The Drew Timmy-Anton Watson lineup works great. But Drew may not have to play 32 minutes in this one. He may not even play 28 minutes in this one. So if there is more of an extended time where Drew Timmy is on the bench due to rest, uh, just not necessarily needing him, not wanting to overwork him early in the year, I'd love to see an extended stretch with Ben with Efton Reed, an extended stretch where he plays alongside Ben Gregg and maybe alongside Anton Watson. Maybe if a small ball lineup where Julian Strother's playing the four and Efton Reed is playing the five and there's three other guards out there. I want to see more of that from Reed. We know he's capable. 
We also know that it has taken him a little bit longer to adjust to the offense. And then again, the fit alongside Drew Timmy isn't necessarily there. He also has significant fouling issues on the defensive end. That is not uncommon for young bigs. It is, I can't think of, I can think of very few Gonzaga bigs. The only one that immediately jumps to mind is Chet Holmgren. And he almost doesn't count who didn't have foul trouble as freshmen. Zach Collins fouled everybody when he was a freshman. Shemek Karnowski fouled everybody when he was a freshman. Drew Timmy, not as big of an issue for him, but he was still there. Philip Petrusev, it was there. Like the, It is a hard thing to do. And for Efton Reed, obviously he played at LSU, a school where they played a lot of really good teams in the SEC. Now at Gonzaga, he's played primarily very good teams. I want to see what he does against a team where maybe he, he has more of an athletic advantage. He's bigger, he's faster, he's stronger. He has the ability to to play good, solid basketball without getting in foul trouble. If, if Efton Reed is continuing to get in foul trouble against opponents like Montana, like Eastern Oregon, God forbid, or some of the other teams that Gonzaga plays, that's a little bit more of a testament to like, are there discipline issues here? Uh, are there, you know, is he jumping too much on screens? Is he not learning how to use his body, et cetera, et cetera. When you get into foul trouble against really good bigs like Charles Bediaco at Alabama or Oscar Shibwe or players like that. It's, it's more about, Hey, that guy's just really good. And he does a good job of drawing contact and getting to the free throw line. I want to see how Reed responds defensively against a team like this. This is a good opportunity for him to play 12 to 15 minutes, which we haven't seen from him in a while. Uh, and I think a, a good opportunity for him to really show out in front of the home crowd and kind of remind people that he was a top 25 prospect coming out of high school and that the future is really bright with him as the center uh, starting as soon as next season. Next up, more offense from Hunter Salas. I want to be clear here. Hunter Salas's offense this year hasn't been bad. His defense has been incredible. He is the best perimeter defensive player uh, amongst the guards. Him and Anton Watson are, are comparable as overall defensive players. But Hunter Salas is a freak on that end of the floor. He's got incredible athleticism, length, timing, uh, strong hands, instincts. Like he is really Really, really good on defense. And what we have seen from him on offense is very solid. He makes the right reads. He makes the right decisions. He knows when to put his head down and attack the rim. He knows when to pull it out and, and pass, pass it back out and reset the offense. He, he knows when to take open threes. He's been knocking those down fairly consistently. But I want to see more. And it's more about I just want him to get that opportunity. It's not that he is too tentative. It's not that he's not taking the opportunities. Just give him more opportunities. I would love to say, and again, this all, all of these keys to an extent kind of come back to the very first key, which is build a big lead and coast. If you're up 15 in the first five minutes of this game, never relinquish it. Be up 15 for the rest of the game because that way you can get in a situation in the second half where you're giving the ball to Hunter Salas and kind of saying, hey, go create. Go do something with the basketball because we know you're capable. You're more athletic than everybody on the team that you're playing. Like you can go create your own shot, take open threes. You know, don't, don't be a ball hog, obviously, but like maybe letting him run the offense a little bit more, letting him have a bigger stake in what this team is doing on the offensive side of the floor. Because Hunter Salas is a big part of what this team is going to accomplish in March. He's going to play big minutes in March because of what he brings defensively. So let's get him there offensively. Let's get him to a spot where he's not just, hey, he's a good offensive player, but he's always going to be the fourth or fifth option when he's on the floor. Let's get him to a spot where like maybe he's still the fourth option, but he's a dang good one. Like that is something that he, he's more than capable of being that guy. And these are the kind of games where I think you start to hone those skills, give him legitimate game action and let him go be creative. Let him go find ways to, to impact the game offensively, as opposed to just kind of being a part of the motion offense who doesn't really do much more other than kind of just distribute the ball around. 
And then, of course, this is going to be a key for basically every one of Gonzaga's games against opponents like this. Will we see the non-rotation guys? First non-rotation guy to talk about is, of course, Dominic Harris, who did not play against Alabama. It appears that he was sick with the flu. Uh, that has been going around Gonzaga's uh, team. Obviously, Julian Strother had the flu against Northern Illinois. Uh, so hopefully Dom is healthy enough to play against Montana on Tuesday. If he is not, that would be the, if he does not play on Tuesday, that is the likely reason why would be my guess at least. Uh, but I would love to get a chance to see him play six, seven, eight, ten minutes potentially in this one, showcase what he can do. We know he's a good rebounder or excuse me, a good defensive player. We know he's a good outside shooter. Let's see that kind of in a, in a, in a longer period of time than we've seen so far. Uh, we kind of mentioned Efton Reed already. He's borderline within the, the, rotation right now but could we see 12 to 15 minutes from him and then of course the end of the bench guys will we see colby brooks who had a nice little showing against north florida on the first game of the year will we see abe eagle who has yet to play in a game despite being in his third season at gonzaga will we see mark few's son joe who hasn't played yet this year uh, but obviously played quite a bit last year and is kind of a, a fan favorite i am sure the kennel is going to be given given us some we want joe chance in the end of this game so perhaps mark will concede and get him into the contest all right, folks, we're going to close out the show talking about the Lady Zags and their conference opening victory over BYU. But before we do that, a message from the NHTSA. You're hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks. A few becomes a few too many. As the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride. Now you live nearby. You can make it home okay. It's not a big deal. What are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that still doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. All right, segment three, still any patents, still locked on Zag. Switching over to talk about the women's basketball program who secured a opening victory in conference play against their biggest rival in the WCC, the BYU Cougars. They won that game 67 to 58. It was a pretty close game throughout. Uh, Gonzaga really turned it on in the second half. They outscored BYU 38 to 26 in the second half. They were down three at halftime. 12-point victory in the second half led to a nine-point overall victory. Kaylin Trung was fantastic in this one. 24 points, four assists, four boards, and three steals. 16 of her 24 points came in the second half for the Zags as they really kind of turned it on and, and found a second level and, and really ended up burying BYU in that in that one. There's no Kaylee Trung. She has been hurt. Uh, so it was really nice to see Kaylin step up and have a big role. Uh, the, the ladies' eggs have been hurt. This has been a big part of their season so far is just injuries have continued to hamper them. Uh, for them to secure a victory over BYU while dealing with injury stuff, while only shooting 41% from the field, they were 23 of 56 in this game. So it was an ugly shooting night. They had injury issues. The bench didn't give them a whole lot of contributions. Uh, but again, Trung, 24 points. We Brenna Maxwell has been fantastic this year. She had 13 points on four of seven shooting. Wanted to shout her out because I had her on the podcast a couple of months ago during the offseason. One of the things we discussed was how she already has a lot of familiarity playing BYU after spending the last three seasons at the University of Utah. 
Utah and BYU play each other in the non-conference slate every year. And there's some nastiness there. It's a bit of a rivalry there. It's obviously a non-conference rivalry, but it is one that that has a little vitriol. And Brenna said on the show specifically, like, I really want to beat BYU. I am, I'm coming for them. I am ready uh, to be at a different school and still beaten up on BYU. And so for her to come out and have 13 points on four of seven shooting, kind of a nice testament to what she was saying at the time and how, how good it must have felt for her to get that uh, victory for the Lady Zags. So what's next? Well, we are recording this podcast, full disclosure, before Gonzaga plays against the University of San Diego Toreros. That is their next game on the 19th. By the time you are listening to this, hopefully they have secured a victory there. They also are playing the Montana Grizzlies on the 21st of December. So again, the, the men's program is playing them on the 20th. Lady Zags play them the next day. Again, always nice to have those kind of regional non-conference rivalries extended to both sides here. So happy to see 48's program also playing Montana. And then they play their next conference game on the 29th of December on the road against the Pepperdine Waves. I think the big question now as we're getting into conference play for the women's basketball program is it's less about are they the favorites because that was kind of part of the question in the preseason was is this team going to win the WCC? Are they the favorite? Who's going to challenge them? Now it's like, is anybody going to challenge them? Like that's honestly more of the question at this point. And part of that is that some of the, the schools that are supposed to be towards the top of the conference standings in the WCC haven't looked all that good. BYU is the first one. They, they haven't been great. They just haven't been a great program so far this year. As of this conversation, they are four and seven on the season. They're 0 and one, of course, in conference play after losing to the ladies Zags. And they have a new coach, their longtime head coach, retired after 21 years, uh, manning, the, manning the helm for BYU, so replaced with a new coach. You can just feel some growing pains for this BYU program. I don't think they're going to be a legitimate player in the BYU, in the WCC this year. They may finish in the top half still. They may finish top three, quite honestly. But th- this, this being BYU's final year in the WCC it was kind of the last – hurrah for the epic BYU versus Gonzaga women's basketball rivalry. And it kind of looks like it's going to be a bit of a dud this year. I don't think BYU is going to be a legitimate contender to upset Gonzaga. Obviously you never know what could happen in the WCC tournament, but, and they played them well here. They, I mean, they only lost by eight, nine points. They were up at halftime. So it was a good game, but I'm, I'm not super confident about this BYU team being a legitimate player in the conference, not as much as I would have been before the season, at least. And then you have the Portland Pilots. Portland, you know, was a team that got legitimately robbed, should have made the NCAA tournament in 2020 on the women's side. It would have been their first time doing it in a very long time. But unfortunately, that tournament was canceled. Now Portland's sitting here six and five on the year again. They've played some tough teams. They got boat raced pretty badly by Oregon. I believe they got beat pretty badly by Stanford as well. So, you know, those are two of the best programs in the entire country. So no shame necessarily in losing those games. But, you know, they don't look like the clear number two in the conference. Right now, there does not look like there is a clear number two in the conference. Quite honestly, Gonzaga is the best team in the WCC and number two could be a variety of different teams. Uh, at first, I would have probably said San Francisco might step into that role. They've looked pretty good this year. They're 9-3 and three on the season. They got some decent wins. They got a win over San Diego State, a win over Colorado State. But also they got smacked very badly by UCLA. They lost to, or excuse me, by USC. They lost to Washington State as well. And then they opened up conference play with a loss to LMU. LMU 3-8. and eight on the season. So that is not good either. I just don't think that the WCC on the women's side really has, they don't have a team that really looks like they're going to compete with Gonzaga. It's, it's the, the story that has been the story for the men's program for a long time, not as much lately, but for a long time, it was like, it's Gonzaga and there's nobody else who's even close. 
And that kind of is what it looks like right now on the women's side. And that's not necessarily great for the women's team, quite honestly, because it puts a little bit more pressure on them to, to not lose. You know, they, they don't have as much wiggle room. They're going to be a tournament team. There's not really an issue there. They're ranked as we're having this conversation. So I think they're right in the mix for like a four, five, six seed. Uh, but one or two losses in the WCC, that's enough. That's enough for them to bump all the way down to that dreaded eight, nine line, or they could even be a 10 or an 11 seed. Even though this is a team that is is very good, is more talented than that seed line might indicate, they don't have a lot of really good opportunities. They also are kind of a victim of, of really bad luck in the sense that their wins, their win over Louisville, their win over Tennessee looked fantastic at the time when they beat Louisville, they were the sixth ranked team in the country. When they beat Tennessee, they were 23rd. Neither of those teams are ranked anymore. That could change as the year goes on. And those wins could ultimately end up looking better than they do right now. But right now it's a weird situation where Gonzaga is clearly good and they have won the games they should win. And they haven't really lost any bad games. They got beat badly by Stanford, but Stanford is the number two ranked team in the entire country. They lost to Marquette. Marquette's a pretty solid program as well, but by and large, like, Gonzaga doesn't have a lot of wiggle room in order to be in that four, five, six seed conversation. They don't have to necessarily go undefeated from here on out, but there aren't a lot of good losses left on their schedule. So we'll see how Coach Fortier and the staff end up responding to that. Uh, I think assuming they get healthy, they're still going to be in the conversation for a four or a five seed. And once they get in the NCAA tournament, this team has proven they can beat just about anybody. So we'll see how that all shakes out. But it's an interesting year in the WCC for women's basketball right now. All right, that is going to do it for me today. Don't forget to check out the new podcast, Locked On College Basketball, where myself and Isaac Shade of Locked On Tar Heels break down the biggest stories in college hoops. You can find that wherever you get podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube. If you went and hit that subscribe button for Locked On Zags, go ahead and go do it for Locked On College Basketball. If you haven't done it for either, go do it for both. It takes less than 10 seconds, and it really, really helps me out, so I appreciate that. I also want to thank all of you for making Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. For your next listen, check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast the biggest stories of the day plus instant reactions big game recaps and the take of the day available on the odyssey app youtube and wherever you get podcasts all right thank you all for listening and go zags